I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't, I don't get cable, but there is one show in the summer that my family loves to watch, and that's America's Got Talent. You can't beat Pierce, okay? You just can't. America's Got Talent is an awesome show because you've got everyday people, and they've got something that they do that they are hoping is going to get them to the next level and maybe even win the season's show, and they will be famous and rich and have lots of followers, and they will be set. It's awesome. Every season has somebody who's like 74 or 87. You know, they've got the old person who can do whatever it is that they can do, and sometimes it's very revealing and bad to watch, okay? And then they always have some kid that you're like, what in the world? And this year, come on, the kid, this girl opens her mouth and literally sounds like a 30-year-old opera singer. It is the most amazing thing to watch. I can relate to the people on America's Got Talent because there's a part of me that's a driven person Okay, and so I still, I would like to write a book someday that sells like lots of copies. One, so that I can send my kids to college, but two, you know, so that it would mean that I actually have something worth reading, okay? Uh, I would also like to get good enough as a communicator that people would actually want to hear me speak, okay? And say, I appreciate that you're a captive audience and all that, okay? But someday, so those are goals, and I have, I'm driven that way. For those of you that are driven, you have a list, don't you? of what you want to accomplish and do in life. Maybe you want to be principal by age 30. Or by year 11, I'm going to be pulling six figures. I don't care what it takes, but I'm going to be pulling six figures by year 10. Or for those of you that are younger, it might be something as simple as, I'm going all state, baby. It's happening this year. Or it's a certain score on the SAT or ACT. If you're driven, you know what it is, okay? You've got it in your mind right now as I've gone through some, some options. For those of you that aren't driven, doesn't it just stink living in America with all these driven people? And it's all just about success and, you know, I won the Nobel laureate. woo So you wrote a book and won the Nobel laureate, okay? You know, and there, you, you just want to slink away. You wish all these driven people would just get a life or something, Can I ask you a question? In America, what is success? What is success in America? I mean, if you want, you can shout some things out. You know, sermons don't tend to be interactive, but what are some things that come to your mind in terms of success in America? Money. Money. What else? Power. Power. What? Cars, stuff. Yep. Notoriety. Yeah, isn't it funny? Okay, we are a culture that pushes people to want to be celebrities. And so there's all these people who blog on Twitter and who have like six followers, right? And you want to have like a thousand followers. If I just had a thousand followers for my tweets, I would be, you know, somebody. I'm like, no. What happened to just being followers? I don't, that apparently went out in the 70s. And then there's all this stuff when it comes to money and things and acquisitions it's so bad it, where my wife grew up in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, each neighborhood ha- occupies a certain place in a neighborhood hierarchy, okay? And, you know, if you lived, for example, in Winston Terrace, well, you know, those homes are only in the, you know, 180s. And so if you say, well, I live in Winston Terrace, you have to say it as kind of a half apology. Like, well, you know, we live there now, but... <laughs> You know, it's a sacrifice. 
And then when they built Ford's Colony, Ford's Colony was the $400,000 and on up homes. And of course, you know, well, I live in Ford's Colony, you know, and you could kind of stand a little straighter when you said it. But then two years later, they built the King's 100, <laughs> and it says smoke, because that was like 750 on up in terms of homes. And all of a sudden, Ford's Colony was no longer there. Come on, is that not crazy? That is crazy. That's crazy. And, and, and in America, we also celebrate what people accomplish. I mean, and we, and we push and push and push. Success in America is defined this way. It's what you accumulate or accomplish, and it helps if you're famous. <laughs> it really does. If you're a parent, what I want you to know is that this cultural milieu can affect how you parent ever so subtly. And you, and you see it in all of its splendor with first-time parents. So if you're a first-time parent, I beg your forgiveness today. I was there because I know what this is like. First-time parents, you get your kid, and somewhere around, around two or three years of age, you start having these conversations with other parents. Well, you know, <clears throat> Brittany knows her ABCs. Oh, really? Yes. I know, you know, you're not supposed to know until you're five, but, you know, I've been working with her, and I got this program on the Internet, and she can do all 26 letters. In fact, when I went into her room last night, I was floored because she had War and Peace open. And (laughs) she had made it to page 263. And I was like, but, you know, she's just our first. I'm sure we'll do better with the next one. (laughs) Okay? That's crazy. But we do that, and, and, and if you're a parent, there's this push to make sure that your kid gets the most education and the most opportunities and the right kinds of activities so that they can build the right part, kind of portfolio so that they can get in the right kind of school, so that they can have the right kind of a job and be mortgaged up to their hilt and unhappy. Who invented these rules? This is crazy. Today, today I want to talk about success, and I want to remind you of something that you already know. Success is not what you accomplish or accumulate. Success is who you become. And I want to remind you of that today. The Bible has a lot to say about success. Uh, There are a lot of success stories in this book. And if God is real and the Bible is true, then it's far more important what God thinks is successful than what any of the other ants occupying this spinning ball called earth think. Okay? And uh, we're going to be in... uh, Second Chronicles this morning, and we're going to look at the life of somebody. First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles are awesome books. I know if you don't read the Old Testament and that scares you, those are four books that are absolutely. I love reading First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. It's like reading a string of mini obituaries. It is because literally you have these men and they're born a prince and they become king. And they rule for a certain period of time. And God and the writer of Chronicles summarizes each and every one of their lives with four or five sentences. Boom. Well, this was Ahab. He did this. He was this kind of man. And this is what God thought of him. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of a little awe-inspiring because, I mean, I sometimes think if God were to summarize my life in four or five sentences right now, what would those four or five sentences be? I know some of us could go home right now. Okay, well, I'm done. Thank you. Okay, but I want, to look at the, I want to look at the life of Jehoshaphat. In the 1800s, this lady wrote a book, and we got the term, Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. Well, if you've ever heard the expression, now you're going to get to know a little bit about the man this morning. So Jehoshaphat is who we're going to look at. Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of the kingdom of Judah. 
What happened in Israel is kind of like the civil war in the United States. They split north and south. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Jerusalem or uh, Judah. And uh, Judah had the city of Jerusalem in it. Okay, so, so Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and his capital city was Jerusalem. He was 35 years old when he became king, and within the first five years, he did several things. Within the first five years of his reign, he did this. He fortified cities and towns, so like Lachish and some of these surrounding uh, Jericho, town, Bethel, surrounding the city of Jerusalem. He put fortifications in, fortified the doors, the gates, assigned more troops. He was kind of, you know, making Judah stronger. Think Ronald Reagan. America's going to re, you know, reawake now. It's great. Okay, so the second thing he did was in the third year of his reign, he got together some of the priests and Levites, and he said, tell you what, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out to all these towns and train people what the Word of God says. Could you do that? Because I'm thinking some of them have forgotten, because all over the place there are these Asherah poles and high places, and they're worshiping things made out of stone. I don't think God's going to be happy with that. So could you just go and remind you know, read the law, train them in the law? And so they did that. And then the other thing he did was he uh, destroyed these uh, idols and these uh, high places where the uh, Judites would worship gods other than, than, than their god, the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? So Jehoshaphat was a good guy. If there were good kings and bad kings, he was one of the good kings. And I've read through these, these four books, I don't know how many times, and it was this summer reading through and reading about Jehoshaphat, I, I gained a new admiration from him, for him. For some reason, this read through of the Bible, I was like, this guy is underrated. I mean, he's amazing. Look at what he did. Look at what he came from. And look at how, what God has to say. I was just floored at Jehoshaphat. Okay? Before we get to the summary of his life, I want to peek into an event that happened. And this is what happened. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, uh, three countries get together. Uh, one of them, of course, is always Moab. The Ammonites, Moabites, and some of the Minuites, who I don't know who those people were. Okay? But these three nations get together, and they form an alliance, and they decide that they're going to combine their armies and invade Judah. Okay? So this is like the Nazi-German tank lines coming into France. Judah doesn't stand a chance. I mean, literally, they don't. These guys are equipped, they have cavalry, they've got shock troops, they're going to mow down Judah. And so the Bible says that there, a report was given to the king, messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Eden is marching against you, run! Oh! And then the Bible says Jehoshaphat was alarmed. In the Hebrew it says he was scared out of his pants, okay? He was afraid. The king was like, oh, Okay? He does two things in that moment. He declares a fast. He pulls together the other leaders and he says, guess what? We're not going to eat and we're going to seek the Lord's face. And then he prays. And in verses 5 through 12, we, we read his prayer that he prayed. Jehoshaphat stood before the people of Judah, verse 5, in Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple. And he prayed this. O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who's in heaven. You're the ruler of all the kingdoms in the earth. You're powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. We'll get to the scriptures on the screen in a minute. O God, did not you drive out those who lived in the land when your people arrived? And did not you give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple. 
And so he goes on. What he's doing in the beginning is he's, say, he's praising God, but he's, he's saying out loud what God's already done. Okay, so that's how he starts his prayer. And then he continues on. Uh, verse 10. Now see what the armies of the Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You wouldn't let our ancestors invade those nations. And now look. They reward us. They come to throw us out of your land, which you gave as an inheritance. Oh, God, won't you stop them? In other words, he states the problem. Here's the problem. (laughs) They're coming in, and they're going to smoke us. And then the request. We are powerless against this mighty army. We don't know what to do. We're looking to you for help. Right in this thing, Jehoshaphat does a very godly thing. And, And here's a reminder. When you don't know what to do, do what you know. And in that moment of fear, he wasn't sure how he was going to overcome three armies coming into his kingdom. But he knew there was a God in heaven who made promises and who had done things in the past. And so he pulled together his people, they fasted, and they prayed. Then the God moment comes. Uh, He goes out with his army, chapter 20 says, and he puts some musicians in front, and they're doing the praise band thing. You know, maybe they're singing onward, Christian. No, they're singing something, okay? As they're walking down through the valley to go meet these three armies. Well, God does something weird. He creates confusion somehow. We don't know what. uh, But they start attacking and fighting each other. And, And this is verse 24. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, there were dead bodies lying on the ground for as far as they could see, not a single one of the enemy had escaped. They didn't have to lift a single sword. God defeated the enemy God's way. Well, here's the summary of Jehoshaphat, and it's found in chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, and we'll put those on the screen. Then Jehoshaphat, Asa's son, became the next king. He strengthened Judah to stand against any attack from Israel. That's talking about what he did in fortifying the towns. He stationed troops in all the fortified cities, and he assigned additional garrisons to the land of Judah and to the towns of Ephraim, and that of his father Asa had conquered. Here's the kicker parts, verse 3 and following. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years and did not worship the images of Baal. Wouldn't that be great? If you're a parent, wouldn't that be great for that to be said of your son or your daughter? The Lord was with John Mark. The Lord was with Jillian. The Lord was with David because they followed the Lord. All right? And then he continues on. Uh, Jehoshaphat, verse 4, sought his father's God and obeyed his commands instead of following the practices of the kingdom of Israel. So the Lord established Jehoshaphat's control over the kingdom of Judah. All the people of Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so he became very wealthy, but more importantly, highly esteemed. He was committed to the ways of the Lord. He knocked down the pagan shrines and destroyed the Asherah poles. And in the third year of his reign, Jehoshaphat sent officials to teach in all the towns of Judah. In these seven verses, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat sought and obeyed God. And so God established Jehoshaphat. And he was esteemed. If you're a parent, wouldn't that be a good goal for your kids? to be able to say that God was with them, that they were, 
that their hearts were yielded to God and they did what God wanted them to do. And so God established them in God's purposes. And if you're not a parent, wouldn't that be a good thing to have said of you? And wouldn't that be, okay, so real success is not what you accomplish. It's not what you accumulate. It's who you become. And if you're a parent this morning, I want you to make a decision. I want you to decide what's more important because not everything is equally important. Some things are more important than others. And here's what I want you to decide. Is success for my son or my daughter or my kids their career, their talent, or what they're able to own by the time they're 40? Is that really success? Or is success who my son or daughter becomes? Now, if you're not a parent, um, I want to suggest something that you could do this week. If, if you're younger and you don't got kids and that's nowhere on your radar screen, pick up the phone or make a point to, to sit down with mom and dad. Call them up and ask this. Say, hey, I, this is, I have an odd request. Uh, you know, I was thinking, just thinking about things this week. Could you remind me one more time why you're proud of me? Now, mom and dad may not get it, and they may go, well, you're just such a talented singer. We just love hearing you sing. Okay, just let them drone on and, and receive the compliment, and it will be worth getting just that compliment, okay? But, uh, but uh, make that phone call. And if you don't have kids, let me ask you the question. When it comes to you and when it comes to your future that you're mapping out for yourself, is success for you really going to be whether or not you're a doctor or whether or not you live in that certain neighborhood or have that house, or is success really going to be who, you're, who you become? You need to make that decision because every day you're choosing and deciding things that's going to take you one way or the other. You've got to pre-decide. Well, well, how can you start? First of all, you could go back to the questions that we asked last week. But I would suggest starting simple along these lines, and that is if you're a parent and you have kids, compliment your kids for their character and their attitude, not just the grades and the, the scores and the goals. Because you don't want to know why this is important? Because people rise to compliments. And so start complimenting them on their attitude and their character. And then I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Write it down. This week, today, well, I left it there somewhere. All right. We're going to give you, in a few minutes, uh, note cards with envelopes. And on the card it says, I'm really proud of you for, and it's got some boxes that are easy to check off, how you acted, your attitude, your recovery, being you. And in the bottom, there's a little thing, and I really mean it. Okay? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Take a moment this week and write somebody a note. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's somebody in your life. But if you're a parent, by all means, write one of these notes for each and every one of your kids and make a deposit this week to where you want them, to kind of the person that you want them to become. I've accomplished some things in life. You know, I've won some awards along the way. I've done things. But of all the things that my parents have complimented me for, there's one compliment that stands out to me the most. And uh, no embarrassment intended. It, uh, it was a, a number of months ago. Dad pulled me aside, and Dad said, I, I just want you to know, son, that you're a really good dad. I don't feel that most of the time, but that compliment stuck with me because it's who I am and it's who I aspire to be. 
Real success is not what you accomplish. It's not what you accumulate. It's who you become. This is why, for example, at Generations, we don't, we don't think of church as a business. Uh, businesses are cutthroat. Businesses are run uh, for profit and for bigger, better. You know, churches that are run like businesses, it's all about results. If you're on staff there and you can't hit the ball or get results, they'll bring in somebody who can. If you're a volunteer, someone can always lead a group better than you can, sing better than you can, act better than you can. You are replaceable in a business. But in a family, you're the only Uncle Jack. You're the only daughter, Susie. I mean, you're irreplaceable. And in a family, it ought to be the case that Success is when we can say of you, hey, you know what? We're really proud of you. That's real success.